everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. There's no doubt about it. We are living in some strange times and unfortunately, incredibly stressful times for some people. Whether you've been dealing with the anxiety of making ends meet or the general concern of keeping your family safe and healthy, this episode will open your eyes to some tools that can help. Lieutenant Annette Zapp of a Chicago area fire department has dealt with the impacts of witnessing critical incidents that the mind can hardly comprehend. Over time, it changed her personality and her outlook on life for the worse. After hitting a low point 10 years into her career, she decided to seek help and arm herself with the tools to help other first responders who are also suffering. While not everyone endures the extremes of a fire and LEO career, many are still struggling with how to cope with cumulative stress. Serious talk about mental health and super serious talk about the most accurate firefighter sitcoms. Here it is, episode 354. It is that time again. We've got a flaming hot episode of the Premier Podcast in strength and conditioning. I was surprised by the lack of backdraft talk, honestly. Ah, uh, frankly, I'm um, I'm not I'm surprised that I'm not surprised, but my feelings are a little hurt when she said that actually being a firefighter in Chicago is not identical to like what we saw in backdraft. The silky smooth voice you just heard is CEO and founder of Power Athlete John Wellborn. This is Luke Summers. Text. Thanks for that joining us, John. That screecher over there is <laughs> Burn bands off. We have the same. Burn bands the- off. John, friend of the podcast, is joining us <laughs> after. Hey, well, you know what? He if, if, you could, if you could just carry your weight, I wouldn't have to get a special guest every week. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem is, is that the table's just sinking into mediocrity on yeah, this side. And yeah. it's just, you know, that's why I got to balance Definitely. it. Definitely. We'd be telling the same old jokes, not like what we do here, which is tell all sorts of new jokes all the time. Well, you know, we're waiting on the margarita yada, yada, virus. Yada, we're, boat shoes, we're, margarita virus. Yeah, we're hot. waiting on margarita virus to hit us. <laughs> so one of these or, days. Yeah, Friday. Yeah, the we're, coronavirus we're, backer. <laughs> am I right or am I right? No, right? you know yeah. what? Uh, like I said, we got kids. I got no problem with the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Now, the margarita virus is what I'm really nervous about. I'm not. I'm getting margarita virus tonight. <laughs> it's going down. On a Thursday? I drink every day, John. <laughs> no, these yeah, are released on Friday. We um, speak as if. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's TGI. Uh, the day. Well, don't you wake up in the morning and have a cowboy mimosa, uh, which is two shots of vodka? And I mean, you've been asking me this. I don't think I could pull uh, it. Dude, I could I, do it for a week, I, and then I'd regret so it. So Jeff Tucker, uh, you know, and his, he was having those Facebook posts of, like, like uh, 12-pack of beer during the day and then, you know, six to eight bourbons at night. I mean, I, like, and I'm like, how often? Like, once a year? No, uh, every night. Like, oh, what? Yeah. That's like, crazy, dude. Like I, Tex and I only did that during seminars. <laughs> in Vegas. So, ladies if you, ladies and gentlemen, if you've been to a CrossFit football, CrossFit SSA seminar, odds are we were 18 Modelos deep by the warm-up. <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, yeah. I think, the only, was the I think the only time that we ever uh, had some issues like that was the, when the first time when we taught our first international and we taught that seminar in Bodo, Norway. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the sun didn't go down. The sun was up. And so we get in, like, things were all a mess. We, like, went to this, like, what we thought was lunch, but it was really, like, late dinner. Had, like, a couple bottles of wine. And next thing I know, like, everybody got up to go to this thing. We were late. Everybody was still drunk. And I'm like, Oy. I... But that's like, early days. It, yeah. Well, but it was, like, uh, it, just the lack of sun and, like, being, like, man, the sun hasn't moved. I don't know if it's 11 o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night was totally just threw us for a loop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I remember probably the only time... 
McQuilkin, it was at Coda when we inadvertently got spun up. We were it was before the methodology. We were on a rampage on a heater, uh-huh. and um, athleticism on napkins, but, which yeah, I still trying have. to write all that stuff down. And like next thing you knew, it was like twelve thirty or one o'clock or something. Was, was like, this when you were trying to argue with me about linear progressing a lunge? No, this was this was a far more constructive. <laughs> that was at a strip club. Yeah. <laughs> Far more constructive. In Texas? Uh, San Antonio. San Antonio. B- BYOB. So we brought mm-hmm. our own shiners in there and we're arguing and completely ignored the stage and, and all. And the, the girls got mad at us. They're like, you're not even watching. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, we're arguing was, about doing a linear progression of the lunch. Mm-hmm. In which you, I believe you said it was impossible to linear progress any sort of unilateral movement. And I asked why. I said, theoretically, you can linear progress anything. That's right. But That's in terms point. of driving adaptation as, as fast as you can on a bilateral barbell back squat, mm-hmm. I don't believe that linear progressing a unilateral movement like a lunge is as beneficial, mm-hmm. is what I think I said. Right. And then it all landed on, we should add progression to the primals, which we do now in our yeah. bedrock with lunging and stepping and uh, either progressing implements or distances. Uh, because we just thought people were doing it, and it turns out they weren't. So that was, I would say, a big win at that strip club. Yeah. And then... Um, for, for us, not so much the Yeah, the, <laughs> not, not the hosts of, of that uh, gentleman's establishment. Anywho, how do we get onto this? Long story short is coronavirus is, will be detained, margarita virus will thrive, and everybody's going to be happy, Right. That's what we're talking about? I think it's huge. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just a few weeks away from Summer Strong, right? Or like about six weeks. Yes. And we're planning on being there. And so is our guest, right? And before we get talking about who we have on the show today, if you are listening to this, odds are you may be a first responder. You want to hear what this expert in her field has to say. Well, let me tell you this. If you're out there wandering aimlessly, just picking movements all willy-nilly and picking workouts from the who's who of Chicago Fire on NBC, (laughs) you're doing it wrong. Or Rob Lowe from Emergency (laughs) 911, Lone Star. Ladies and gentlemen, how long did that show last? It's still on, still, John. It's still rolling. Uh, it'll Shut probably, the fuck it'll up. probably hit your next Netflix feed, and you know, soon. Well, if it's not on the CW, I'm not really interested. Anywho, you need to check out Power Athletes. That's us. Hammer Program, Holistic Athlete Movement Readiness. It's an acronym: H A M R. That's PowerAthleteHQ.com/slash/HAMR. And, and uh, um, I use a lot of uh, hammer references, like be the hammer, bring the hammer, we're hammering. So I, uh, I tend to beat hammer with a dead horse, literally using the hammer to beat a dead horse. I'm a big fan of the way you describe who the program is for, John, and that a door kicker. So it spreads across the demands of LEO fire and also our military. Yeah, I, I just got tired of the term with tactical. Like, it just felt like uh, people just beat it with a dead horse. Like, they were literally <laughs> they be- beating tactical be- with a dead horse. <laughs> like, they weren't even beating a dead horse. They were picking up the horse and hitting things with the dead horse. 
but it just became this idea where we start talking about war fighters, you know, people that were in harm's way needing what I think is probably the best program uh, that we can offer mm-hmm. for uh, those war fighters. And then also first responders, people that kick indoors and that can be, you know, LEO and also like we're going to go into today with our firefighters. So people that go in harm's way and put themselves in harm's way need the best training program to prepare them for what they're going to see out there. And that is the hammer. And I thought of that today when I scrolled through Instagram and went to my fa- one of my favorite accounts, the inside drop. Mm. Love that account. They had a, the, what do they call it? The chest cam or the, mm-hmm. the vest cam? Yeah, where the dude a, ran and pulled the guy the dude up. ran, yeah. like sprinted what I would guess was probably 60 meters yeah. and grabbed an old truck driver out from an ex, uh, uh, yeah, 18-wheeler that was about explode. to explode and then dragged him across three lanes of traffic all within like 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, that is exactly what the, the training rest- or training well, stimulus is preparing. Well, I'm going to let you in a little, on, on a little hint. He is on the hammer. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Huh, I I'm did just, not know that. Just making that up. Shh, John, shh. Oh, sorry. They can't shh, see us weakening. <laughs> well, enough about Hammer. If you do want to check it out, 14-day risk-free trial. That means you're going to put in your card. You're going to sign up. You're going to try it. You're going to train with the fury of a thousand suns for 14 days. And if after that 14-day or within that 14-day window, you are not satisfied, we'll go ahead and refund your investment. No questions asked. All you got to do is click a button, put your email in, and it'll make it happen. What's cool on the Hammer program, uh, um, little known fact, is we worked a tremendous amount with uh, the U.S. military, both on both sides of the house, you know, with, uh, with SOCOM and then also Big Army. And we're able to test these programs with different versions and different uh, forward operating groups. And so uh, there's a lot of practical uh, testing and implementation over the bunch of years leading up to this program launching. So we're just not throwing darts at a dartboard, picking workouts, but there's a, a progression and a method and definitely a very, very pointed uh, mm-hmm. end game with this program. And I think it's one of the best things we're putting out. I totally agree. And I guess it, transitioning or handing off from that space, f- pre- preparing the fire or first responders or door kickers physically, we're going to get to talk to Annette Zapp, who's working out of Illinois uh, and I guess, across the country with the fire services and understanding the, not just the biological or structural demands of a firefighter, but the psychological and social challenges that come with the job. And it's pretty interesting to pick her brain on this stuff and hear what the modern challenges are of the up and coming fire studs and studettes and and what she's doing to help address these challenges and an interesting observation getting to know a lot of the tactical strength and conditioning community a big thing that is helping with coaches connect to the athletes is being former military or former police and firefighters so she is currently Mm -hmm. a firefighter and then using that power to help connect with her fellow kin to make sure they are making the health changes both mentally physically and also I guess with their chili cook-off style. Oh, yeah. So strap yourself in, ladies and gentlemen. Let's hear about what's going on in the fire services. And most importantly, what movie best resembles actual firehouse life? Spoiler alert, it's not Chicago Fire, the television show starring John Stamos. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, uh, the fire show that was the humor one with uh, Dennis? Um, Rescue Me. That was Rescue Me. But okay. that, was, that was a drama. No, well, uh, wasn't it Dennis, Dennis, Dennis Leary. Leary? Dennis Leary. Dark humor. Uh, I would say that that would not be classified as a comedy. I've never seen the show. I just thought it was a comedy. I watched it. I can tell you for sure. But you know who was in that? His brother is the guy from the... Um, Allstate. Allstate commercials. Uh, uh, Mayhem. Mayhem. Oh, man. 
Yeah, I knew that. With me, and mayhem. He was, he was a cop. Yeah. It, so there was the like, show is great, John. I, you know what? Yeah. If you want to, is it on Netflix? You know, I don't know. Oh. It's FX, but it was it's legit show. Anywho, does it have vampires in it? Uh, one or two. Yeah. Okay. Well then, I'm in. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Enough about us. Let's get on to our guest. Ready, set, on your marks. Get ready, go. So should we get started? We shall get started. I have a question. What? 630 area code, huh? Yes. Same (gasps) with me. Well, you call the back phone, but my my go-to number is 630. So I know someone who knows you. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Is it a police officer? Uh, Do we have to get uh, like a release of liability or anything? Bring it. Nope. He actually told me to tell y'all hi. Okay. I recently met at Coach's Conference, Jim Davis from the Good Athlete oh, Project. Oh. Okay. And I've been volunteering with Good Athlete. And Sweet. he mentioned that although he's forgiven you mm-hmm. for the whole state championship thing, he uh, was a little sore about it for a while. I, you know, it, it, it's, it's only hard. been like 20 years. I know. It? I mean, I'm still... Uh, you're I'm still, still riding the coattails of this. It. I'm still basking in that that win over poor Jim Davis. You know, and that's funny. That was a game where I think, like, it just slipped out of there. Like, they just lost it in the last 10 seconds. Interesting. Uh-huh. Funny how if they won that game, you think Jim would be rocking the premier podcast in strength Yeah, he might be here right now. Well, he would probably, instead of being the good athlete, he'd probably be the elite athlete. Oh. Yeah, the great athlete. <laughs> the project. champion the athlete. Phenomenal, <laughs> the, the champion athlete instead of runner-up athlete. Jim, listen. Good. If you Just hear this, good. It's good. I, I do not condone this type of tomfoolery over here. I applaud your efforts and everything you're doing at the Good Athlete Project. But it would be the great athlete. But you're absolutely right. You guys lost in that Jim, did, did Luke tell you about his new podcast? <laughs> state Championship Athlete. Yeah, State Athlete Project. Starring Luke Summers, and it's just monologues. <laughs> so there I was. Oh, monologue. Second and third. Monologue. It's, a, it's the same Second and third. I knew they were going to run the inside zone, and I stepped up, hit the running back, oh. Oh, and then you and won the game. Trying to get guest Owen Daniels the, the <laughs> next week, but he just... That ever shows up? I know. He's got a bobblehead for him. That's not a bad idea. It's like when I was gone, you guys just had my bobblehead. Just knock on his door and ask him to go to Sizzler every day. <laughs> we're, we're still friends, right, Owen? <laughs> Red Lobster Shooter? Uh, well, let's stop talking about me. I'd love to. Uh, but, Annette, it's, it's thank, your you for, topic. thank you for, for, I guess, putting up with the last uh, minute, Submitting barrage, yourself to this. Yeah, barrage of nonsense on our end. But it's very interesting that we um, have a mutual connection through Jim, who's doing, who is doing really cool stuff, a super sharp guy. He's came to our symposium a couple, I think, past three years, maybe. And uh, I always like catching up with him. He's always getting into cool stuff. So how, how are you guys collaborating? How did you come across Jim Davis? Well, I was uh, doing registration at the NSCA Coaches Conference, just kind of keeping myself busy. And he came up and, of course, he asked me a question I couldn't answer. So I apologized. I said, you know what? Let me find out. And when I found out and I came back and I apologized for being the worst volunteer ever, to which he responded, oh, my gosh, we would love to have a volunteer like you. And we didn't at that time realize we were both in Chicago. So we put everything together and we had a conversation a few weeks ago. So far, I've just been doing some tutoring, you know, going into the city and tutoring with the Lost Boys and Good Athlete Project. But we're going to try to collaborate on um, some publications, perhaps. And then also, I'm hoping to do some volunteering like at his races and his powerlifting meets and whatnot. So good guy. 
I'm really excited about the collaboration. Yeah, small world. How do you find the Lost Boys? <laughs> Second star on the right until morning. Until you get to Never Neverland. I guess you're not a Peter. I think you're saying we're right, Peter Pan. Count Chocula. <laughs> so, John, a, I have hook. to tell you a story. Are you ready for this? Lay it on me. I got off shift this morning, and the guys, and I say guys because they're mostly guys, tend to sit around the table, talk, shoot the crap a little bit. And they said, as we always say to each other, what are you doing today? And I said, well, you know, I've got the usual, taking over the world, running my empire, but I have this podcast scheduled and I'm a little bit nervous about it because it is not one, not two, but three very alpha males. I'm just a little bit afraid I'm going to get steamrolled. And they're like, you basically deal with four. You're outnumbered by four every time you come to shift. So you got this. Don't worry about it. So that was my boost of confidence for today. Bring it on. Well, well here's a good thing. Uh, John's really the only guy striving to be an alpha. <laughs> Text, clear beta, I'm the gamma. Wait, no, what am I again? No, Wait a minute. You're the beta, I'm the gamma. You're the omega. What, I'm reading John's book, How to Be an Alpha. So. <laughs> So my whole thing was, if you have to write a book about how to be an alpha, you're obviously not an alpha male. And if you're reading the book, you're probably not in that situation either. And Annette, there's no need to... Uh, Are there really alphas in the firehouse? I just figured it was like chili cook-off and Netflix binges. So, sorry, Annette, also realized John's a little salty right now because yesterday we started to burn here on the ranch and... Uh, the we, fire, had a, we had a huge brush pile. Came out. Yeah, we have like a huge brush pile that we just throw all the all like the brush and everything, and it got kind of big. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's raining yesterday. Let's get a burn going." So I uh, got on the website, googled it, and it said uh, the burn ban was off. Burn ban was, off. Burn ban off. And before we'll like go in and just leave a message with the fire department. Uh, I didn't call because like they never call me back, and for the last bunch of years we never had any issues. So we sparked this thing up. And out of nowhere, we're like maybe two hours into the burn, maybe a little bit longer. This guy like pulls up on our neighbor's yard and is like, you know, waving his arms. I go over there and he's like, what's going on? You know, basically brought the fire department in. And like we were probably 20 minutes away from this whole thing being burned to the ground. They backed their truck up and like hosed it with water. I was like, fuck. Um, so I'm I had to go sorry. buy a permit and they came out today and I've spent uh, probably, I don't know, seven phone calls with these. It's just like, oh, my God. So you'll never believe what this guy looked like in that. He's about five foot seven, um, kind of receding hairline, mustache, right? At, you know, like the handlebar mustache, yeah. tucked in polo shirt, khaki Port pants. Portly. Portly. I mean, uh -huh. like the classic comic book, fire marshal, <laughs> like fire chief. <laughs> like, Were the pants tucked into the boots and bloused out or no? <laughs> no, nobody. But he was wearing a lot of 5'11", and it was tight, like like skin tight 5'11", <laughs> and not for any other reason other than he probably bought it and then gained some weight. I mean, we have to stay tactical. But yeah. here's the thing, John, safety first. Safety first. And think back. Didn't you practice stop, drop, and roll a lot as a child? Yeah, I'm really glad. we never. I've never used that one. But, uh, I know. I kind of thought that I was going to be on fire a lot more. And I've never been on fire. You know, the so, uh, the other one where I started losing faith in that stuff is um, I watched a whole, like, uh, it was almost like, a, I think I want to say it was a structural engineer put out a video that you remember when we were kids and growing up in California, they always had earthquake drills and they told us to get underneath our desks. And uh -huh. um, this guy who was a structural engineer went in and was like, that's terrible advice because if, some, if the roof collapses, 
uh, it's going to crush you underneath it. So what you need to do is behind the debt or be next to the desk. So if something falls, it'll create triangles and went through all of these like models and everything about like, uh, you know, don't get underneath the table. This like always stand next to something that's taller than you. So if it does land, it'll basically triangle and survive. Mm -hmm. And I watch this whole thing and I'm like, Man, we practiced that for years, and it would have killed all of us. And well, it just pretty, yeah. So let's stop, drop, and roll. Pulled up history of stop, drop, and roll. Apparently in the 1950s, there was a number of fire accidents because clothing was highly flammable. Polyester. And this campaign was led by, stop, drop, and roll campaign led by Dick Van Dyke in the 70s. So it took him 20 years to figure this out. Typically, I'd ask you gentlemen this, but Annette, I'm going to go to the pro. Can we just skip the stop part? Can't you just drop and roll? You know what? I think, you know, we do this thing in the fire service where we make things redundantly redundant. So, yeah, I think you can just stop and roll. But it doesn't sound as cool. Mm. Uh, no, I mean, it's got it's kind of catchy. I remember when we were kids, too. You remember they had, uh, if you wanted to dial like an emergency, it was 911. But then people oh. were confused because they couldn't find the oh. 11 button. I swear to God. So they changed right. it to 911. Like thing. Oh, I, I like I, I remember all of a sudden it was like it was 911. Like, hey, you know, you got to hit 911. Didn't really make a difference. And then all of a sudden it was 911. And I saw like they had they did a news thing and they were like, you know, they've had to change it to 911 because people were confused on where the 11 key, uh, the 11 button was. Hmm. I'm afraid. For <sighs> That's how I knew that there was no hope for us. That and the coronavirus. Well, what are you gonna do? And then, how do? about this? Let's let's shift gears. Let's get let's put the focus on you a little bit. Why don't you give us an intro? Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you're at, and then we're gonna get into some some discussion topics. I know Quokin has planned for us. So exciting! I like to tell everyone that nothing I've ever done in my life is logical. I am in a magical place right now. I do. I'm a full time firefighter. I hold the rank of lieutenant, but I truly don't think that that is my calling at all in life. My calling is taking care of firefighters. But the thing is, I could never do that as efficiently as I do without having done the job. So the fact that I've done the job 16 years now gives me a ton of credibility. And so just kind of backtracking and, and diving into that illogical career uh, path, I have a master's in biochemistry. So let's go ahead and be a full-time strength and conditioning coach with that, right? Okay. And then, um, as you all know, it's a, it's a little difficult. I wasn't in, like, the college grind, the, the GA and the internship and all that stuff. I was working in a hospital-based wellness center. But, unfortunately, the benefits were not great. The pay was awesome. But when your clients don't show up, you don't get paid. So I started looking for a real big girl job. And the fire service kind of presented itself at the right time in my life. So I kind of explain all of these things I did as illog illogical and irrational puzzle pieces that came together in a beautiful way to allow me to do what I do. I describe myself as a little bit of a unicorn. You could probably go ahead and uh, do that, too, if you wanted to. <laughs> beautiful. I, I always wanted to be a unicorn. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they got a big horn company. on their head they can stab people with. You're in good company. So, right? And I'm curious about your connection now to Nate Palin and the TSAC and their initiative. So were th was the mission in line? Were you fighting this good fight and then found the connection through TSAC? Or was this sought out 
by by those team by that team. Super interesting. First of all, shout out to Nate. He is a great guy and he has done a ton of awesome things to help me out in my career. But I've been preaching this whole firefighter health and wellness for about 10 years and no one was listening. And I think the reason no one was listening is because I wasn't putting a face on the on the issue. And I, I can kind of circle back to the issues in a second. But a few years ago, I started telling my story which helped people pay attention. And my story is this. I used to be a super outgoing, fun person before the fire service. And a couple of years in, I became a real, real a-hole. I was angry all the time. I was isolating myself. I was getting in trouble because I was being unkind to civilians, which that's not a great thing to do, right? And I never really put two and two together, but I was pretty heavily depressed. I was never sad. If I had been sad, that would have made sense to me and I would have sought help, but I was just pissed off 15 out of 10 all the time. And so through um, some educational processes, I started to figure out that the fire service was changing me and the fire service was creating depression. And once I started telling that story, people started to relate to me and started to listen. And I was able to procure some contracts with fire departments. And that uh, around that time is when I started writing and applying to speak and um, doing those types of things. And that's when I met Nate. So I applied to speak at TSAC in 2019. And I was super, super honored and surprised because I didn't really know anyone in the industry at that point. I was super honored and surprised to be accepted. And so that's the connection. So um, I presented at TSAC 2019, and then um, Nate and Mandy, his assistant, invited me to TSAC or to NSCA, uh, NSCA headquarters in November, where I helped with a whole bunch of people that are way smarter than I am, helped revamp that TSAC practitioner course. So that's the circle completed there. What was the... Um... Uh, like what was the catalyst for like the depression you said as you got into the, you know, into the fire job, was it just the, uh, the fact that you just, every time you get a call, it's something negative And it seems to be that maybe the people that are constantly dialing, you tend to maybe not be the smartest or the most capable. And then all of a sudden you become jaded when you realize that people are morons and it's just like, you know, it pretty much like the internet. <laughs> you know what? That's part of it. But part of it is, First of all, in society, overall course of life, there's about a 20% chance that you're going to experience a mental health issue, whether it's anxiety, depression, or something else. And there's this perception that firefighters, police officers, and military are some sort of superhero, right? But they're not. They're just normal people. We hire our firefighters from the general population. So already 20% chance of a mental health issue over the course of their life. Now add to that, no one ever prepares you. No, no one used to prepare you. No one used to tell you, yeah, you're going to see stuff that your brain is not capable of processing and you're going to need to get some help with that. Add to that sleep depri uh, deprivation. And then the other thing is that once you get in the fire service, you start experiencing the trauma. You start experiencing the sleep deprivation. You start to make bad food choices and you start to deprioritize your training. And all of those things are what I call a cesspool of shit. 
that combine to create not a good situation. So I think um, I was never suicidal. I was never um, very sad, like I said. I never abused uh, prescription or otherwise drugs. But I think what saved me from that path is the fact that I always prioritized my sleep. I was always the person that tried to optimize my nutrition. And I was always the person that was optimizing my training. So having said all that, that is the, the soapbox that I'm preaching on now. And I'm trying to reach every single firefighter before they even start the career to let them know that this is coming, but there's ways to um, counteract it too. What What's the, is it, is it just the culture within the district or the house that um, that contributes to someone coming onto the fire service and then losing the, their North Star on training, on nutrition, on sleep hygiene, and things like that? I mean, it's not necessarily the nature of the job, right? It's, is it just the culture, kind of the, the old culture of the firehouse? There's, there's this misconception that firefighters are the firefighter calendar. Um, they're 6% body fat, they're 6'2", they're jacked, they're strong. And unfortunately, again, we hire those firefighters from the general population of which 80% now is overweight or obese. And so, you know, they have to pass some specific physical fitness test to get hired, but in many departments, they never have to pass another test to show any sort of capability. So I think that the culture is changing somewhat, especially at my department, we're creating that change. Um, anywhere I'm doing contracts, I'm helping create that change. But yeah, it just, it, it sort of, you, you feed on it or it feeds on you. You're tired, so you don't feel like making good choices. So you um, you fill the empty spots with alcohol or with donuts or with porn or whatever it is. And people are just seeking ways to feel better. And that's, it's a, it's a bad situation. It truly is. I mean, Chicago is kind of a historic, you know, I know that from backdraft, but like has kind of like a historic culture of fire. Whereas it's kind of like the New York police department, mm -hmm. like people like, uh, you know, my granddad was a cop. I'm a cop, you know, like, I just think like, New York, uh, New York cops and, and Chicago firemen. And I don't know why it just seems like that culture is very ingrained there. But I also think, you know, having been to Chicago m numerous times, I mean, the amount of, uh, amazingly bad food. I mean, when I, when I say bad, I mean, really good food. It's probably bad for your waistline from everything from <laughs> Dickie Portillo's oh, yeah. to all the mm, other naughty. Yeah. I mean, all the spots like, like, I mean, dude, I could eat myself sick in Chicago. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't imagine being a fireman walking into a place. I mean, they probably are, like, handing you over food. Like, ah, it's just, it, it's got to be part of the culture of it. And then probably, uh, you know, like, cooking and just, man, it just feels like there's probably just an inherent culture of, like, let's go out and crush some food and crush a case of beer, too, you know? Mm. <laughs> well, the other thing that we struggle with is that civilians often want to to show their gratitude towards us. And they do that through cookies, brownies, pie, donuts, and any other bad choice of food that they possibly can. And Gotta when they see the that business. there's a firehouse with two rigs in it, 
so there must be a hundred people that work at that firehouse, right? So they'll bring, you know, that four, never happen at power athlete. 60 pounds of Entenmann's cookies. <laughs> Things right. that never happen at power athlete. How come people aren't like, I was, thank God. Well, maybe it's the big sign on your gate that says, uh, trespassers will be shot. <laughs> a lady carbs brought will be burned. 48 donuts, like oh six gosh. inch donuts. There's five people there. So when, when I played, uh, in KC, um, they, uh, the Krispy Kreme people used to deliver like, I think it was, uh, like 53 or 55 boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts every week, like one for every player. And like dudes would just like, there'd just be like boxes of these Krispy Kremes and the dudes would go over there and just get a box and just crush them. And I'd be like, you know how many calories you just had? Uh, you know what? I don't think I've ever had a Krispy Kreme donut. Oh, Wow. You're not I've missing a, anything. I've yeah. had a Dunkin' Donut. I'm just not a big donut guy. Uh, I'm not a donut guy either. But there's a difference. Like, I've been to a uh, Krispy Kreme where they come hot off the, the press, but then there's, like, the grocery store version. Uh, I'm just not really a fan. I'll take the hot off the press. You... Yeah, uh, like uh, like my kids love donuts. I just, I'm not a donut guy. Can't just get a sausage link? Oh, well, now is there sausage on those donuts? Have you had a kolache? <laughs> is basically a sausage Chachkis? in a donut? No, a kolache. Chachkis. No, it's a Polish Danish. Klotzki. Klotzki. A klotzki. Yeah, it's a, I thought it's a sausage was, is that like a in a donut. Is that, that's not a pierogi, is but it? But for breakfast. Oh, klotzki. I thought was like cream cheese in a pastry. Yes, uh, that's what it is. Yeah, so you don't know. Once again, ladies and gentlemen. No, I'm talking about Kalachi. First of all, <laughs> it's different. Luke, Luke is from Chicago where, like, the huge Polish people. You, on the other mm -hmm. hand, I don't think there's a big Polish population down here, Kalachi. Yeah, boy. you got a Polish crew? Then, okay, I'll go to Shipley's right now, and I'll get us some Kalachis. <laughs> and there's a place called the Kalachi Factory that's huge in Texas. Uh -huh. Big chain. Big breakfast chain. Are you sure you're pronouncing that right? Kalachi. <laughs> I'm pronounce it, pronouncing it like it's spelled. Pronunciating how I Enunciating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So somebody so out there people send us some collage. So people people show up with boxes of like just like so things I'm, that would give everybody like heart attack and diabetes oh, every day and are just dropping them off and being like, Oh, thank you, fireman. I'm gonna give you all this food that's gonna make you guys fat and die. Kalachi yeah, factory. I call it HQ. boxes full of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. Like nobody's terrible. bringing by like steaks or anything. You're like, no, 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 steaks are fine. You know what? Here's the thing. Every time someone drops something off, I ask the guys, "Did any? was there any protein powder in there? Any creatine? Anything that I'll eat? And it's never anything mm -hmm. that I'll eat. So it's public tragic. service announcement, I guess, this should be spread wide, broad, and loud. If you're going to give your local firefighter a little gift, give him some creatine. Give him some protein. You maybe know, maybe like collagen. you know what uh, I'm thinking about this now. The guys that came over I'm yesterday were all pretty cool cats. What we should do is go by and drop them off like some shirts, some stickers, and a bunch of donuts. And a bunch of donuts. <laughs> no, okay, but the shirts and the stickers they would love that. Firefighters are shirt whores. Yeah, except for uh, Annette, like right down the street from John, they just built like the. A new, modern... Oh, no. Did those guys come yeah. from that one? That's or? They, yeah. No, they came right down Hamilton Pool. You mean the the new one? The brand yeah. new one. And I'm like, how is it? You know, like like I know what a firehouse is. I think I've been to two or three. And uh, they're like, oh, like, you know, oh, we struck gold. So I don't know what, what that would be, but I'm sure we can go and get a tour, right? If we just go knock on the door. Uh, I, they told me because um, they have that bitch in uh, brush truck I was checking out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, man, if my son was here, he'd freak out. So uh, two years ago, I bought a retired fire truck. 
like a Chevy no. uh, crew cab and it had lights and the sirens. And uh, I used to take my son out. We'd drive around the property with the, with, you know, and he'd talk on the PA blaring all the lights and the sirens. And my neighbors <laughs> were like, what did you do? I'm like, we got a fire truck. A guy hit me on Instagram. and was like, hey, I'm in Montana and we're selling our old fire truck. You should buy it. And uh, so we jumped in the car and we drove 24 hours to get this fire truck and came back. And it's awesome. So I'm actually restoring it right now. So it's pretty, uh, pretty cool. But yeah, that fire truck was bitching. We shouldn't have pulled it apart. So yeah, you definitely need to take your child to the firehouse. I would suggest between the hours of eight and five and do not bring donuts. Got it. Shirts. Probably some steaks. Those guys like steaks. So, so was there like ever a shift? I mean, typically these stereotypes are steeped in truth just a little bit. You know, this, uh, the, the proverbial fireman calendar. Was there a shift from, from a culture of like grinding health and wellness into maybe a little more sedentary um, and donut loving in the firehouse or? The only thing I can think of is that it just, we got fatter as the general population got Mm -hmm. fatter. That's the only thing I can think of. The other thing is, you know, firefighting is a blue collar job, but it's becoming so there's so many aspects of it that are white collar the amount of reporting and paperwork and junk and garbage that I have to do on a daily basis is unbelievable. So we just aren't moving around as much as we used to. Mm. The other thing that's interesting is that for decades, we were losing about a hundred firefighters per year in line of duty deaths. And I'm going to quiz you all. You may get this, you may not. What do you think those firefighters were dying of primarily in line of duty deaths? Traffic accidents. Oh, heart attacks. Oh, yes. You ruined it for everyone. Yeah. Yes. Strokes and heart attacks. Yeah, it's heart attacks. Uh, yes. the, um, Are you Googling it? No, it's um, it's pretty interesting. I'd like, I remember, uh, you know, I mean, um, for years, uh, some of the earliest adopters for when I worked with CrossFit and we put out the CrossFit football program were uh, mm-hmm. first responders. So we worked with a ton with the military. Uh, law enforcement and the firehouses really adopted the the training that I put out. And it was pretty interesting guys reaching out being like, um, I could almost categorize what your job was based off of the ailments that you were fighting back from. Uh, I remember there was like a, like a five, five drug myriad that all of the cops were on. They were like on statins, uh, something yeah. for uh, um, indigestion, acid reflux, uh, like Cressor, like I remember there was like five drugs that like if somebody said they were taking those, my first comment was like, oh, you're a fire or you're a police officer. Yeah. And then I remember the uh, uh, the firemen, it was always like heart attacks, hypertension and things that were like uh, poor diet selection and really sleep related. And uh, yeah. it was just it was super fascinating to the point where like the guys at the firehouses um, started doing our training program and then they would email me and they've, they've sent us like, I mean, we got a fire hat back there from one of the guys, but they would send us stuff and being like, Hey, um, you know, our firehouse was able to make this huge change and here's all the, the things that are no longer ailing, uh, like ailing us. And it was just pretty interesting that I realized that there were certain, um, you know, like pe- people think that disease is kind of indiscriminate that, you know, why does this happen to me? We always get right. it. But it's pretty amazing when you look at like a certain profession of people and everybody has the same stuff and you're like, well, OK, you know what? It's probably not genetic. It's lifestyle. And it all stems back from like, you know, poor sleep and sedentary. Um, it would, the other one was um, uh, the uh, firemen were always pretty interesting because they have strange amounts of free time. 
And, and uh, so like I like whenever I'd meet firemen, they always had like these other careers. One of the guys that we knew back in Orange County was like one of the biggest bookies in all of California was running this like massive illegal gambling bookie thing and ended up getting hand up by the feds. And he was like one of the police ca- or uh, fire captains. So I just always remember like running into firemen and uh, over the years when we lived in Orange County in the area. And it was just always very, very interesting individuals that had like very dynamic in a lot of ways. But I just remember through the years just getting these emails. And I, I mean, it's, uh, it's just, it's pretty amazing to think that like, hey, here's a certain job that people are doing um, that's about helping and protecting and saving people. But yet most of these guys are not in a good enough position to save themselves. Mm-hmm. That was always kind of a interesting piece. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's heart attack and stroke primarily. And then um, very few catastrophic. I always thought firefighters were dying from falling through roofs and falling <clears throat> off ladders. And no, very few of those. There's several usually responding to or coming back from calls, especially in the volunteer population. But super interesting for the last decade, firefighter suicide has been outpacing line of duty deaths. So last year we had 58 line of duty deaths, which is the lowest it's been in a really long time. We had at least 133 suicides. What is wow. up with that? Man, it's, su- suicide I'm such telling a, you, it's the it's, trauma and it's the sleep deprivation yeah. and it's the combination of all there, of it. Is there like a cross section there on... Like age and, and gender, you know, you know what I mean? Um, like, or sui- is it- if, if you look at suicide, there's no uh, clear distinguishing marks. Like, like, like suicide is indiscriminate of age, of gender, mm. of like uh, um, socioeconomic status. Like, like there's all like, um, I just remember uh, suicide is, you know, obviously, uh, you know, like the ultimate like, fuck you to your friends and family. Like, I'm no good. And it's just, man, but like, if you look at it, there's really like no demographics. Like they can say, okay, hey, you know what? Like um, X amount of people maybe have like, you know, obesity. And they can kind of like kind of bucket these things into kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, lifestyle. They can, you know, culture, uh, race. I mean, they can kind of bucket some of these things. Suicide's one of those things that affects everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, you know, and, and like like the reasonings of like, I can no longer deal with this, so I'm going to end my life as this this ultimate form of control is fucking insane to me. We see a lot of it in early on in the career, and then we also see a lot of it after people retire because Mm -hmm. they've had this tribe mentality for 30 years, some some of them, and then basically you retire, they give you the middle finger, they cut off your email, and you have no identity anymore. And so, you know, that's when we see it a lot. But the other thing that that people sometimes don't understand is that trauma looks different for everyone. So something that causes John trauma, because you have small children, right? Yeah, so seeing three. a call, yeah, seeing a call with a car accident with small children would probably cause him a lot of trauma, wherein, you know, obviously I'm going to be sad about that, but that is not going to be a hugely traumatic event for me. But this trauma, it's cumulative. We see it over and over and over again. And what we do is we take that shit and we put it in a file folder and we jam it in a filing cabinet and we keep jamming it. And eventually, at a very inopportune and inconvenient time, the cabinet opens up, spilling the shit everywhere. So it's just that's one of those things that I educate the new firefighters on 
so that they can they can see it. And I talk to their spouses and their significant others about it too. Do you guys have um, counseling? Is, is there regular counseling in the firehouses, like um, like uh, you know post uh, traumatic? Uh, counselors come in and like, you know, like, I mean, cause yeah, I, but I could also see be like, I'm not talking to that. You Precisely. know, what, uh, like I would think, and, but maybe me as an adult now, as I'm sitting here imagining, like, you know, you get a call, you pull up and there's a, a car, the jaws of life, you're cutting out these kids and this wife and this, you know, whole family dies. And then you got to go home and like process and deal with that. Like you probably Just jam it away. Yeah. Shouldn't dig that stuff deep down. Cause all of a sudden it comes back, like you said, at an uh, mm-hmm. inopportune time, but I just think um, if you look at some of the anguish stuff, like uh, being able just to like tell another person so at least gets it out and like puts it out and being like, this is awful. And then having somebody be like, yeah, no, this is terrible. Nobody should have to see this. Validation. Yeah, you get that validation instead of being like, I'm all by myself and I'm weak because this bothers me, you know? So peer support, uh, pretty proud to say Illinois was, I think, the first state with what's known as peer support. So we have firefighters trained, I'm one of them, to to speak to other firefighters that are encountering um, issues. Now, obviously, we are not psychologists, psychiatrists, anything like that, but we have a large network of people that we can we can refer to. But the other thing, what we've always done in the fire service is use black humor. So we come back from a call and instead of saying, fuck, dude, that was terrible. Like I almost cried. Instead of saying that, we make dark jokes about it and we kind of process it that way. The other thing we do in the fire service that is not necessarily good is we provide a whole lot of vicarious trauma for all of our other coworkers. Because <laughs> if I went on a call last night and it was a, a hanging or, or whatever horrible thing it could possibly be, the next crew is coming in and they're saying, hey, what'd you guys have last night? And then we're telling yeah. in all these details and creating trauma in other people that they're not even realizing. So I read have, an interesting study that talked about PTSD and relates to uh, soldiers that never go outside of combo, like never go outside the wire that are, you know, basically inside the wire type individuals that were having PTSD based yes. off of hearing reports of what was happening outside the wire and this fear and then not being able to go out and confront it and this like idea that there's this barrier where bad people on the other side and those people were exhibiting some of the worst forms of PTSD. And I remember thinking like, God dang, like, uh, you know, but then, and then they looked at other groups like this, like SEAL teams, uh, where they weren't having PTSD, where these guys were actually forward operating, but it was like based off a level of training and expectation. And like, it's such like a complex problem that like, you're seeing like 5,000 different layers for this. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing is we have I have, I'll raise my hand and say, I have, I have a tremendous amount of guilt when I'm not able to solve the problem. It's, it's not my problem. It's not my house that's burning down. It's not my child that's in cardiac arrest. But when I can't solve the problem, I have a lot of guilt. And uh, my friend, Chris Fields, who um, you may not know the name precisely, but he was the firefighter holding the baby at the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995. So that iconic picture, that's Chris Fields. And he says, guilt is a weight that will crush you whether you deserve it or not. And he is absolutely right. It's um, the fact that we are saviors and we truly believe we're put on this earth to save people and we can't. It's it's excruciating. It absolutely is excruciating. 
So how many boxes of Thin Mints does each fireman <laughs> need to alleviate their guilt? I'm thinking like a dozen. So we just need to go get a bunch of Thin Mints and drop them off. <laughs> There's some other guilt for putting out your fire, John? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm going to make them feel bad. I'll be like, dude, we were going to barbecue. But that, so that... But that's never going to change, right? So in terms of the, the job to be done, there's always going to be people who need the skill set that the fire teams ex- have and the first responders have. But don't you think that they could do something? I think what she's talking right. about is like some form of like preempted education. And that's kind of what I'm looking into. So is, where is, is the... Is that, well, I was going to say like the age of the younger individuals coming in probably like oh what are you talking about i'm bulletproof i can do anything whereas like and then like 10 years all of a sudden they're like man i wish i was prepped for this mm-hmm. i guess yeah so take us down down where where are the bright minds thinking right now understanding that people are going to need your help you're going to give it to them you're not going to win every fight so is there's the peer support technique is there also this onboarding approach in terms of leveling expectations So I'm personally working from that onboarding approach and I talk to every new firefighter I possibly can, which includes my department and the departments I contract with, but I'm also super blessed and lucky. I received a nomination to be on a Senate task force in the state of Illinois, and we're looking specifically at first responder suicide. And so I had my first meeting last week and and there were, you know, sheriffs and highway patrol people and police officers, local police and fire there. And everyone was talking about the stigma, the stigma of reporting, the stigma of raising my hand and saying, I have a problem. And I understand that that is an issue, but where I come in is, okay, we're plucking people out of the stream. So let's go upstream and find out why they're falling in in the first place. And so that's where my education with the sleep deprivation and the nutrition and the training. I mean, you can literally change your brain by sleeping, eating right and training. And lack of those things is correlated quite strongly with mental health issues. So can I completely, can we completely solve the problems? I don't think so. But I think if I had had just five minutes of education before I started, Um, I wouldn't have, I spent a decade, I wasted a decade of my life being a miserable, miserable human. And I don't want to see anyone else do that. And I truly believe with the education, we can keep them from falling in the stream. But don't, it's, it's young. I'm just thinking it's young dudes predominantly coming in. And I know there's women coming in as well, Mm -hmm. but we're morons. Like we're not ready to listen and we don't want to hear (laughs) it. What was your tipping point? Like, I mean, you Basically, though, at least from the narrative you're giving us, there's like this definitive of like miserable and then something happened. And now this, you know, positive, I want to try to help people. I'm just wondering, like, what was the change or what was the, you know, like the the tipping point? For me, and I accumulated some really bad calls on duty, but I think my worst and, and I call it a call, but it was not a call. It was a neighborhood house that started was started on fire it was actually a murder arson and so that I think was my tipping point into despair I I went to that house I tried to help there was nothing I could do there was an individual there that told me my baby cousin is inside I tried to make entry in the house it just 
it wasn't happening. Two people jumped from the second story right in front of me. And I mean, it was just a disaster. So that was the headlong into despair, screw everybody um, situation. And a few years after that, and I'm trying to think of the year, it was probably 2017, we got a speaker from the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support Network who came and talked to us at our department. And he was actually the person that started the Peer Support Network altogether. And he started by saying, I never went into the fire service knowing that I was going to become an alcoholic asshole that almost ate a gun. And then he told his story and he told about how the things that happened to him on duty, the things that happened to him off duty led to this tremendous depression and feeling that he didn't want to live anymore. And I related to his story so much that it everything makes made sense at that point. I had complete clarity. I understood why I was being the way I was being. I understood why I was alienating my family, I understood why I couldn't stay in a relationship and why I canceled plans with my friends. And I just made a decision that day that things were going to be different. And so the first thing I did was I signed up to be one of those peer support people. It's the best class I ever took in my life in the fire service. Fire service classes are dog shit. They're the worst. But this two-day peer support class meant more to me and is more important than any class I ever took. And then I realized that I had to start telling my story and I had to start educating other people that although this is not normal, it happens and there's help. There's help out there. So, and I just kind of want to go back to, I mean, there's this moment, right? This inflection point. And it's like, but could you have been told or could, could if, if you were told at the onset of becoming a firefighter, hey, you're going to reach this point, would you have changed? Would, you, would anything have been done differently? Or do you have to go through the process? Are people coming in now with, with now that leadership has this uh, awareness of the problem and the causes, are people actually receptive to the treatment coming in, the new guys, the new gals? They are. They are actually. And I'm really, really proud to say that they are reaching out both anonymously through peer support and also to me directly. But I think to some extent you, you do go through some of that, but I don't think you need to go traveling down to the depths where I got. And, and I actually probably 10 years in. So in 2014, it might've been 15. I met uh, George Carvajal who is legendary strength and conditioning coach and also a captain at Miami-Dade, 30-year veteran captain at Miami-Dade. And I called him and I said, George, I, I got to get out of here. I hate my life. I cannot stand what I'm doing. I hate it so bad. And George said, you know what? This is really common. Somewhere around 10, 12, sometimes 15 years People get this burnout, this tremendous burnout where they feel like if I have to hand out one more goddamn Band-Aid to someone with a hangnail, I'm going to lose my shit. And George said, you know what? You have two choices because he could see that I was in huge mental anguish. And he said, you have two choices, tie a knot and hang on for dear life or 
walk away and never look back and never regret it. And you know what, that's what I tell new people too. I say, just because you started this job, please think of it the same as any other job. Just because you started this job, if you don't like this job, go get a different one. Because there's this, this feeling that if you become a police officer, if you become a firefighter, you have to, to complete your 20 or 30 years and you have to retire and you have to get your pension. And it's not true. You can choose a different path mm -hmm. at any time. That's, I mean, that's good. That's great to hear that, um, that there's a level of receptivity to listening to the institutional knowledge of the superior or senior officers, because I feel like as a general theme, that's the type of stuff that's quickly dismissed is, uh, yeah, I, I think I know better than this old fogey. Well, the reason I'm in the fire service is that I was working at the hospital-based wellness center, and there were probably 10 firefighters from my own department where I work now that worked out there. And so, you know, we would converse and talk about things, and they're the ones that told me, you know, you really should be a firefighter. You're strong. You're physically fit. Like, I think you'd do a great job at it. You're smart. You have the medical background. And they told me all the good things about it. They said, you only work every three days. We get vacation, we get paid time off, we get sick days. It's, we drive million dollar ladder trucks. I mean, good God, it's a great job. And it is, it really is. But they never mention any of the bad things, not one bad thing. And so when people reach out to me and they do a lot and they ask about a career in the fire service, I lead with the bad things. I say, it's a great job, but here are the things that you need to consider. And I start light with them. You're going to miss family holidays. Your mom's going to be pissed off at you because you're not going to be there at Christmas, sometimes two years in a row. And then I move into the sleep deprivation and the, the possible manifestation of disease processes and the trauma that they'll see and the way that they'll feel. And usually I'm not very successful in talking them out of the career, but at least they have the information. Yeah, I know before before the power athlete gig, when I was pulling the ripcord on my corporate career, it, I my plan was to try to get in the fire service. And you, I, you would have been a great fireman, lots of free snacks. I would have been the chili on guy. It. I would have been the guy cooking big, all the, the big, healthy stuff. Big cookie guy. Oh, oh, he, I haven't had a carb in three years. <laughs> Who are you, John Anderson? <laughs> but um, the guy we had a guy on the podcast, not to. Derail you, That's but what you're doing. we That's had a dude okay. on the podcast who claimed to have not eaten a carb in 20, was it 20 or 30 years? I can't, ever. Ever. <laughs> 2003. Yeah, like, no, he hadn't had a carb since he was like. It was my birthday and I had a slice of Wonder Bread, but no, since then you, I haven't had anything. Do you remember he's like, I was 10 years old and fat. I wasn't fat at 11. I've never had a carb since. I'm like, how old are you now? 50. I'm like, so for 39 years, you've never had a carb? Yeah. And then I was like, well, vegetables? No. Uh, he's a crazy person. Yeah. And, but then the funny part was, he's like, yeah, just put some peanut butter on there. I'm like, peanut butter has carbs. He's like, no, it doesn't. I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, yes. He's, so, he's in his own uh, universe and is totally jacked and shredded and good for him. He looks like a cartoon character. He does look like a cartoon character. And I think that's what he wants to look like. So I don't feel that that's necessarily an insult. Uh, I think he looks like Ram Man. You remember Ram Man from He-Man? He remember mm -hmm. Ram Man? <laughs> Speaking of peanut butter, firefighters think firefighters and high school boys think peanut butter is a good source of protein. Jesus criminy. Anyway, well, isn't it a better talk. source of protein than let's say iceberg lettuce? 
Yes. Okay. Well, eat peanut butter, people. There you go. <laughs> but you need to eat like eight tablespoons. Yeah, it's I'm so kidding. it's I'm so kidding. calorically <laughs> dense that like uh, yeah, it's, it's not good. It's, it's very game changers <laughs> argument of you. Um, I want to get into the game changers and the firefighters. Have, Ooh, and then have you seen Game Changers, the documentary? I refuse to watch any more nutrition documentaries because, and in fact, I refuse to watch documentaries at all because if I can see the cherry picking of data in nutrition documentaries and I know nutrition, then I know they're doing it in the Civil War documentaries too. So I won't watch that shit well, at all. What about the Fast and Furious docs, documentaries? Mm, one through eight. <laughs> yeah, in, one through eight. I mean, those back, were documentaries. Backdraft and Backdraft 2. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was Fast and Furious one through nine. Mm. Aren't you missing one? Hobbs and Shaw was like a spin-off documentary, but they were all you know historical. You don't count that one. No, we do still. Oh, okay. but not under the fast. <laughs> yeah, it's Furious not, umbrella. It's, that would just be the fast umbrella. Yeah, that's fast. It's in the rocks. So, here's my Anthology. thing. Okay, so I didn't watch Game Changers. I relied on all my very, very, very credentialed nutrition friends to tell me it was a bunch of hog shit. But here's the thing regarding nutrition with firefighters and probably civilians too. They always want to be on some sexy diet. They Mm -hmm. always want to be able to say I'm doing keto or I'm doing intermittent fasting or whatever. But I, if I could just get them to like, hello, here's some protein. Let's eat that. And have you met a vegetable? Cause you need some of that too. I mean, if I could just eat that make them eat like normal good food i would be so happy but no they you know they watch all the documentaries and then they go on off the deep end and i have to go fish them out of the drink it's ridiculous it's exhausting well but i mean wouldn't wouldn't it be um if you think about just from like a uh, like personality point of view somebody that like wants to be a fireman probably fits a little bit more in like a in a reckless kind of a type a personality the idea that like hey you know what i might potentially have to run into a a burning building and pull somebody out and be the hero like like people that are are banking on safety and like looking for the easiest safest life probably aren't going into the fire department so like with that kind of type a personality and the type of people that tend to do that job there's a recklessness and so those type of individuals tend to gravitate towards some of the most extreme kind of approaches, like something like a CrossFit or this idea where I'm like, I don't eat uh, for 23 hours, but for one hour, I eat as much as I can handle. And then I throw up. And, you know, it's like you listen to these extreme things and you're like, you sound like a crazy person. But when you start realizing that, like the behavior associated with the job is naturally selecting for individuals that tend to live out on the rails with everything they do. Uh, you can kind of start like realizing it and then realizing like, Hey, I know this goes against your nature, but how about we try the least non crazy person approach? Because this sounds (laughs) fucking insane. And so I, I think that's something that we we've dealt with, especially with like, you know, tier one operators and those guys, like just being able to point it out and being like, you wouldn't be here unless you fit within this personality type. And this personality type tends to, you know, look for some of the most extreme things as this vehicle to, you know, for performance or to get better or whatnot. And the problem is, is it's actually bringing it back to the middle of the road that tends to get you the best results. So what you're going to have to do is go against your natural inclination of being a crazy person and bring it back to like normalcy in normal town. Well, and the, the sympathetic drive that firefighters have 24-7 on duty, and then they get off and they ride their motorcycles to parachute, to rock climb, 
to whatever the hell else they do. Like if, if I could get them to get a little parasympathetic input once in a while, you know, normalize stuff, I'd be super happy. But yeah, they crave, even when a firefighter goes to get a massage, they're like, yeah, put the elbow in as deep as you can. Make it just, make it hurt because their nervous system craves that shit. It's ridiculous. So how can you break the loop on that? <laughs> Snooper loop. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. You know what? I just keep beating the drum and trying to educate them. The thing that makes my approach work with firefighters is number one, the credibility and that's not to say a civilian can't gain credibility because obviously they can, but I have almost unparalleled and unfair credibility coming in, but I'm going to take advantage of it. I don't care. Sure, you should. But yeah, so that credibility, but then I meet them where they are. So I ask them, first of all, are you in pain? Is, is anything on your body hurting you right now? And the answer is 99% of the time, the entire thing from head to toe is hurting me right now. So if I can get them out of pain first and then get them to be able to do the things they want to do that they can't do. So for example, for some people, that's as simple as I want to be able to get up and down off the ground and play with my grandkids. And for some people, it's like, I want to run stupid 99 mile marathon bullshit thing. But get them out of pain and get them to be able to do something they want to do that they can't currently do. And then I can start pulling on all the other stuff, the performance and the everything else. But I think that whole meet them where they are aspect of it is super important. And the other thing that's important with their personality, I don't know how familiar you are with John Berardi and the precision yeah. nutrition program yeah. at all. Yeah. So that whole one habit at a time thing, firefighters want to do all of the habits. So they're either doing none of the habits or they're doing all of the habits. Extreme personalities. It, it, it fits uh -huh. right within the extreme personality types. Where yeah, like, so you know, if like I can get they, them. Yeah, there's no one change. You have to make like a wholesale change, you know? Right. So I just work on that one habit at a time, marching it forward with them. And it's like, you know, that whole personality is what makes them good at what they do. But it also makes it freaking so hard to coach them it's it's i won't say impossible but it's really hard because of that personality i want to get into the recruiting process so luke mentioned he was down that road and then we get a, a mutual friend up north in the chicago land area pursuing this went through the emt and now next step is is full-on getting a job with fire so i'm curious about the process of recruiting as well as going through a training and then what do you foresee can change there to really instill these good habits before they get poor hmm. so i can only speak to recruiting in illinois but in illinois we really messed things up uh 20 years ago you could test for the fire department and it's um there's a physical test and then there's a, a written test and there's several steps to the process. And then they make a list person that did best second, third, fourth, fifth. And there were literally hundreds of people applying for these jobs because you didn't really need any um, credentials to apply. You simply needed your high school diploma. And I think you had to be 21 years at the time of appointment. So we had pick of the litter of, of great candidates 
And then the fire department started to think, hmm, we could save a lot of money if we required these candidates to have credentials before they could apply. So your friend has probably taken EMT, he'll take paramedic. I'm saying he, it might be a she. And then they'll likely have to go to fire academy on their own and pay for all of that and try to find a sponsor. And it's a real pain in the butt. But the fire departments are thinking, dude, we're tricky. We're saving money now. But what we're seeing at my department, we're having way less candidates applying. So the other thing that's affecting us too is that we're far removed from 9-11. After 9-11, people were coming out of the woodwork wanting to be police, fire, military, federal government. And we're real far removed from that. And the, the flavor of being a public servant right now is a little bit sour. So we are having issues getting applicants. That said, your friend is hopefully going to an academy wherein my task force is going to require there be mental health training and nutrition, sleep, all of those aspects before he even starts. Where's he applying? Do you know? It is a she, and yeah. she's poking around the suburbs, suburbs of Chicago. So basically right. trying to network, I think, Oswego, Naperville, Romeoville, kind of like in that little loop out there. Out there. In the Vils, I love it. Mm-hmm. I actually live two seconds from Oswego. So mm. after, the, after we get done recording, you'll have to hook me up with her and I yeah. can give her info. Yeah, she's savage. She's probably, you know... I don't know how else to describe her other than the savage. She's super strong, super fast. She's actually from London. Uh, she played national league field hockey there and then spent like a decade backpacking around and got crossed paths with my best friend. Who's an absolute degenerate and, uh, turned uh, a lawyer, lawyer uh, in his thirties. So like, they're just, they're very, there's the very extreme personality type, super, super capable and driven. And this is like four years ago, what she set her mind to. And now it's like go time. Right. So so I would ask her, I ask, um, I'm doing a conference session at NSCA National about uh, kind of forging your way into the fire department as a civilian fitness professional. But I would ask her the same questions I would ask someone trying to get in as a fitness professional. A lot of times the fitness professionals, they want to get in because it sounds really cool to work with tactical athletes, police, fire, military. They're like, yes, this is so awesome. And, and really it's, um, it's not awesome. <laughs> Sometimes um, the fire department tries to put 87 pounds of crap in a two pound bag. Um, I do not go on very many fires anymore. I go on a lot of EMS calls. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of paperwork and so on and so forth. So these civilian strength and conditioning coaches are thinking they're coming into this stellar, awesome opportunity. And they're like, oh, this is all there is to it. And so I would challenge her to think too, like, why are you just getting in it to help people? Um, because if that's what you're doing, I would investigate it really, really, really closely before you, you pull the trigger because Mm -hmm. there's not as much helping people going on as you would like to think. Mm -hmm. But that said, sounds like she would be an absolute asset wherever she got hired. Yeah. I'll I'll link you guys up if you don't mind offline. Um, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And she, if anything, she's just a great person to know. I don't know. One of my besties. So, uh, but I do think it's, it, you know, is there's probably a lane or a flavor of the desire to create 
an impact in people's lives. But I also just think the nature of the job is probably um, attractive in the sense of like unpredicted max mm -hmm. velocity, max stimulation, and in downtime. And then this unpredicted loop, I think, <laughs> uh, might be, you know, even though that is not necessarily like a high frequency, um, just the, the prospect of going out on a call where um, maybe your um let's see you're trying to assist and aid what appears to be an unconscious homeless person who then pops up from like a crack nap and then now you're wrestling this like crackhead for 22 minutes to try to survive like that were you on my call last night <laughs> i feel like you were watching that <laughs> was this a kelly hinsman <laughs> i'm just saying like that type of thing even if that happens once every 12 years like it's worth it to her like that's that's the <laughs> Like, I think that's her personality and that's not that she's necessarily chasing that, but, uh, there's certainly a, a, a component of adventure is valuable to her and just in, in her core value. Right. So I hear you. And you know what? I think I'm not a religious person, but I do, I do think that that whole send me attitude is very prevalent in the fire service. Mm -hmm. You know, when we are standing in front of a fully involved structure fire and like you said we're idiots what are we doing like who does that i'll do it but yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly no, I mean, yeah they're like I'll run into it. a burning building i'm Who's fucking gonna in. do this everybody volunteer yeah i'd be like sweet we're we raising to... yeah we're raising we our hands like send me mm -hmm. i was very new when the whole um the nola thing 2004 happened and eight of our guys raised their hand and said send me mm -hmm. And they yeah. went down there, they had no food, they had no showers, they had nothing because they were on the first, the first uh, group of people. Sure. And I mean, that's, that's uh, not normal. <laughs> yeah. I always think about the first responders in, um, uh, you know, in 9-11, how like as the building was coming down, those dudes were running up trying to get more people out. And I always think like, like they, and they, they even said to him like, dude, it's coming down. And they were like, well, we got to go get more people out. And I just always think like that idea and those guys, I mean, it's, um, man, it's, uh, it's a heroic deal and it's like the inherent best in people and it's what you hope for. Um, you know, and when you hear that stuff, you're like, man, that's, uh, that's cool. I'm glad to know there's people that like are willing to put themselves in harm's way to protect those that can't. And it's, uh, I mean, there's, there's nothing more noble than that. But you know, what's tragic about that? is the the lengths in that they'll go and the risks they'll face to save some you know i'm not i'm just going to use like the morbid i'm not saying anyone in that building was this person but let's just go like on the morbid side of this some like degenerate deadbeat dad right they're going to save in this building yeah but you can't but, 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 but hang on hang on but they won't they won't do a little just a little bit of inconvenient shit maybe 2 hours a day for themselves to save themselves, oh, right? Yeah. Like, and, and it's, so it's not about necessarily... So they won't rush into their own burning building. Right, exactly. They won't <laughs> even, like, kind of stick a toe in there and maybe spray it with the you know, little seltzer thing, right? But they'll we do it for everybody else. On what the fuck other are you talking people's about? Oxygen toe in the water, spill our seltzer? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, what, does the, what does the airline flight attendant say? Always put your oxygen mask on before assisting others. Mm -hmm. But that's not what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting, um, man, I just, I guess it's not shocking, right? Because there's no thrill in that. You mean there's no thrill in helping yourself? Yeah. Man. 
That's uh, it's a sad commentary. Like I tell my daughters all the time, like uh, live a life that you can write a story about, and I want you to be your own superhero. Mm-hmm. You know. Ooh, oh, so let's good. let's write a story about it. So I woke up after a twelve-hour restful twelve-hour nap. I had a very <laughs> nutritious meal. I meditated. I went to a, a spa and dried off with a eucalyptus towel. I swam four hundred <laughs> meters. I went in. Are you uh, talking about I the wrote, average fireman? I wrote a little bit. You know, I wrote. A, I started writing and reading, and then I came home. I had another nutritious meal. Like, wow, what an epic tale to tell. Versus. Yeah, so there we were riding these wave runners that were on fire. There were sticks of dynamites burning. You know, like, so, like, I guess if you're going to write the epic tale, it's, the, it's that of burning the bridge. Yeah. Well, you have to do something worth, worth writing about. Yeah. Versus, like, doing the, the nuts and bolts of taking care of yourself. It just doesn't sound very exciting to that personality type, I would imagine. Now, I guess being on the other side of the fence, though, right, and, that, and knowing, like, you can feel really good if you just do these things. Like, you'll feel great, and you can still do right. the other stuff, and you can still feel great, but it's going to be this boring stuff that buys that down. Like right. The, I get that. Like, the, I understand that, and I'm sure you do as well, but trying to convince somebody else to slow down, I just, it's got to be, like you said, you just got to meet them where they're at and just kind of start to chip away a little bit by bit by bit, right? Yeah, they're 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 tough. Firefighters are very tough, and... Yeah, chipping away is the best way to put it. And you know what? I use an analogy in almost all of my talks. I'm not, I'm not a football girl, but I found this awesome picture of Cordero Patterson from the Bears. And I, well, first thing I had to do was ask one of my guys, like, who is this dude? <laughs> but yeah, so, and then I found another picture of him playing at Tennessee. I'm like, ooh, this is good. So I, I show the picture of Cordero Patterson playing for the Bears, and I say, this man has no less than 10 full-time professionals dedicated to his success. And then I list them off like head coach, assistant team doctor, blah, blah, blah. And then I flip up the picture of him playing at Tennessee. And I say, even as a Division One athlete, he had probably six to seven of those same individuals. So then we move on to Marcellus Moore, who is a Plainfield North High School student who has signed to play two sports at Purdue. Um, He is a running back and he does track and field and he's an amazing kid and runs amazing times. And even this kid has five people dedicated to his success. He's got legendary track and field coach, Tony Holler. He's got Chris Corfist. He's got, name it, he's got these people dedicated to his success. And then I flip up a picture of a fully involved structure fire that we had three years ago where people were jumping out of a second floor window. And I say, these people have no resources, no one dedicated to their health, wellness, and success. So as frustrated as you may be on Sundays when the bears lose, I would encourage you to maybe think about figuring out how to divert some of those resources to your local first responders because they are literally on the front line of your life and death. And then I drop the mic. Boom. Boom. Well then, so how, how do people get involved then? If they, you know, if you're just a civilian who's thin mints, um, Stop bringing donuts. Yeah, receiving the goodwill <laughs> and and living in safety because of the fire service. How do you, how do you get involved to help combat some of this stuff? So, the fire service is 
loved and adored in times of terrible loss. After 9-11, there was so much money available for the fire service in terms of grants. Our local university allowed every firefighter that wanted to, to get a graduate degree for free because they loved us so much. But the problem is we're far removed, like I said before, from from a big tragedy like that. And so we are what you would call a very expensive insurance policy that no one wants to pay for. And so part of the problem is the funding. And if we can just figure out that funding, I think that we will be very far down the road to success. But the other thing is, it's interesting. I am chosen time after time and I feel so lucky and blessed to be chosen to speak at fitness industry conferences about this stuff. But I've been turned down time after time after time from fire industry conferences. So what I say is the fitness industry is ready for fire. Fire is not yet ready for the fitness industry. No one wants to be first and raise their hand and say, yep, we're gonna hire a full-time strength and conditioning coach or a physical therapist or whatever, because they're just afraid that it's it's not gonna go well. But I can promise you, it is gonna go well. It will make all the difference. Um, San Antonio Fire hired a physical therapist who is their physical therapist a few years ago. Um, they have a six to one return on investment from Dina. That's amazing. Um, Lyle Woodridge Fire, that's my fire department. We instituted some very simple training and we saved a ton of money in workers' comp claims. We uh, actually got a refund from our workers' comp carrier and a reduction in our further, um, our further premiums. Not to say only those things did all of that, but you can make magic happen if you just put the right people in the right places. The professional athletes have it. We just need to follow that format and, you know, eat the, eat the cost of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we, oh, Levi Garrett was doing a lot of education on this kind on the, the fitness and wellness and nutrition with the fire, a lot of the firehouses in Southern California and Orange County. And uh, he said he, you're met with this, an interesting split of like, he said he, at that time he said it was maybe 20%, 80%, like 20% were ready to hear it. 80% were just like, did not, were not thrilled that this type of information was being presented in their firehouse, which. And then we, another block one coach in Charlotte, North Carolina, mm-hmm. Henry just making a big push, but then always coming up short because of one reason or another. Mm-hmm. We in the fire service are reactive. We're not proactive, we're reactive. We literally put fires out. And so it's always a timing thing. They are very receptive. Fire departments are very receptive when they've had a rash of injuries and workers comp claims and things like that. When things are going well, they don't want to spend the time and the mental energy on any of that. And so I say, you have to just keep fighting the good fight I gave out my business card to a, to a local fire department at a golf outing in August. And I figured that they must have lost my card in a drunken stupor fest because I hadn't heard a thing since August. And I got a phone call last week. Mm-hmm. So what is that, six months? Things move really slow in the fire service. But you just have to keep fighting the good fight. 
Shifting gears a bit, what would you say best, what TV series or movie best represents <laughs> the actual firehouse life? Oh, my goodness. Okay, I'll tell you which one doesn't represent it, and I'll tell you exactly why. Uh-oh. I watched one episode of Chicago Fire, <laughs> and the guy was mopping the floor, and the mop bucket actually slid across the floor on the wheels like it was supposed to that does not there's not a single firehouse in the world that has a mop bucket that rolls like that so i would say chicago fire is not very accurate shocker uh, <laughs> so what you're saying um, is that firemen don't have sitcom tv isn't mop buckets that actually roll hmm, we have a lot of stuff that doesn't work in the fire service but to be honest with you backdraft although super entertaining not that accurate. Oh, bow. what? <sighs> Pen drop. I know, dude. Uh, I know. Some of the uh, my favorite performances were. Um, what do you want to do to them? Where I want to burn a ball. Well, some people just want to watch uh, the world burn. Ronald, so good. But then th- that was the first drama to, to dramatization of the fire industry, and apparently, like there was a spike for people to sign up for fire after nine eleven. There was this giant spike. And people to register to become well, firefighters. Well, there was a TV show called Emergency when I was a kid. You probably <laughs> didn't see that one, did you? Oh, no. Yeah. I remember Rescue 911 as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that was the title, but they talked about just different dramatizations I and guess, like brought families in for crap that what happened. What about uh, Super Troopers? Like, you want to join the... <laughs> be a cop? Yeah, be a cop. Got a, it's for a cop. It's for a cop. Does that look like spit to you? Um, how about Rescue Me? You ever see that series? I did. Mm-hmm. I watched all of the... That's actually rescue. I forgot about rescue me. That's probably not a bad representation, to be honest. Oh, but yeah. in, as far as a movie, I would say maybe Ladder Forty Nine. Uh, what's Ladder Forty Nine? I never saw that one. John Travolta yeah, and uh, Joaquin, uh, Joaquin. Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, wow! If I recall correctly. Yeah, I would say that for me seemed the most accurate. Um, yeah. Man, I'm, I'm shocked Chicago that. Fire didn't make the cut. I know. <laughs> I, I don't it's even watch it. And that, so. That's why, like, Chicago Fire, NYPD Blue, like, there's for some reason, like, New, York, New York cops and Chicago no. firemen. First off, NYPD Blue was factual. Uh, if I recall, <laughs> Sipowitz. <laughs> and um, I don't think I ever watched it, but I remember seeing the, my dad uh, loved the commercials. It. Just loved it. Um, I remember seeing a commercial because I, I don't know. I don't have cable. So I seen a Chicago fire commercial. Isn't um, is it on Netflix? No, it's on like probably Fox or no, no CBS uh, or something. No, it's uh, NBC, but they have the a CW? whole Chicago. Yeah. It's Chicago if, fire. If it's, not, Chicago on, if it's Medicine, not on the CW, I'm not watching Chicago ER, Chicago. Like what else? There's is a lot of problems. Chicago there's Nova a lot Leafs. of uh, civil servants in Chicago. But my point is there's some, some big time actor stars in Chicago fire, right? You don't know? I don't know. I want to say it's like John Stamos. Okay, I want to say it's John Stamos. John Stamos. That could be made up. And the the only commercial I've seen of it is like, uh, you know, Stamos. I don't know the guy's character. It's an episode of Chicago Fire. Okay, so I got the whole lineup here. Lay it on us. John Stamos? Finish the joke. It's not a joke. Is it Stamos? The episode was that it was announcing a spitoff because they needed Stamos in Austin. So now there's Austin fire. Oh no, that was nine one one. That's Fox. So there's nine one one. This is Fox. But here's, 
the ecosystem. This is NBC. They have Chicago Fire, okay. Chicago Med, uh-huh. Chicago Justice, and then Chicago PD. So you get oh, four crossover hours. episodes have got to be terrible. Oh, would they have them? You got four hours of Chicago centric drama. It's just nauseating. <laughs> you think they ever make it out to Naperville? First of all, who, who, for, first of all, who watches this shit? Old people. Well, I'll get you the box set for your birthday here, big guy. I don't want you missing out on the Chicago uh, anthology. Let me tell you, there's only one thing I want to know from Chicago. Lou Malnati's? Lou Malnati's, or I want to go to uh, <laughs> uh, what was it, the uh, Dicky Portolos. Portillos? But I yeah, did Portillos. see a newspaper article, because I still get the paper but uh 911 Austin 911 te- Lone Star or Texas or something uh-huh. they talk they did a review about it and how not Texas it is yeah. it's supposed to take place in Austin but it's filmed in LA yeah. and they're like oh <laughs> we don't have buildings that big uh none of this is real but we love it so so the only way they knew it was uh, allegedly in Texas is all the firemen were wearing cowboy boots is it it's yeah. Go to go to 911 Austin River. Is it John Stamos? No, it's, it's Rob Love. Rob Love. Ah, they're like the same thing. person. Oh, that was Fox's mistake. big Super Bowl push. That's they're both Rob good-looking Lowe. dudes. Yeah. Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. I mean, uh, dude, dude, he's like a vampire. He's like he's unbelievably how he's got to be old and he looks great. Second question, Annette. Is Ready. does the well maybe maybe you won't feel comfortable answering answering this. Is there a true rivalry between like the Lyle Woodridge law and fire? Like, do you guys have annual hockey games and softball matches? And Yes, but it's not a true rivalry per se. We do work really well together. Um, there used to be softball games and hockey games and all that good stuff. And then it just, we kind of let it go. People get busy and, but guess what? Our guys do play in a volleyball or not volleyball dodgeball tournament can you imagine a bunch of firefighters playing dodgeball Mm. i was thinking volleyball like uh top gun style yeah oh no (laughs) no (laughs) i feel like i'm trying to think because you know i've been in a couple dodgeball tournaments won a few in my day oh i believe it uh this is definitely true is this your champion athlete monologue no it couldn't turn that but in a dodgeball tournament or dodgeball match there's invariably the guys or gals that who will get hit and kind of do the look left and right, see if anyone saw them get hit, and if there's a high level of confidence that they didn't get seen, except by anyone except the guy who threw it, they'll stay in. Oh, so savage. so basically, if uh, if they don't come out, you just throw a wrench at them, right? Well, I'm just curious. That sounds like law enforcement behavior in this scenario. Firefighters <laughs> would never do something like that, right? Hmm. No, no, they'll get away with anything they possibly can, including just throwing the wrenches at each other. Yeah, we used dodge to be able to play, dodge a ball, dodge a wrench. We used to play able to play basketball on duty before I got hired, and they got so aggressive playing basketball in the back parking lot, they had to take down the whole thing and that no one can play basketball anymore. Ruined everything. Assholes ruined, ruined everything. We, we cannot have pong? nice things. What about yeah, ping pong? Oh, they would ruin that too. Mm. Yeah, sound like mm. a bunch of jerks. Yeah, eating portillos. Probably just slamming paddles on the table. Who would do such a thing? In well, defeat? it's a miss. I missed. You missed and then so, followed through by a tomahawking. So we have a uh, ping pong table here at work. Oh, and, I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we play ping pong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some of us pout during our losses. Others 
bask and win <laughs> victories and losses. Well, it's the uh, it's losing. the great athlete project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. part of it. But what else we got, Tex? A uh, chili cook-off recipe. <laughs> um, yeah, because well, we, we have this idea that uh, firehouses just have like annual chili cook-offs. And it's like Netflix, what they, 24-7. Annual? I thought it was daily. Well, no, but what they do is they, they cook chili all year round for their annual chili cook-off against other firehouses. Well, it takes reps. Yeah, they got to get, everybody's got to get through in. <laughs> I feel like we are invited to participate in chili cook-offs a lot more than we actually have. That's basically, <laughs> Not that's true. like Politico mumbo jumbo that you're protecting the firehouses. From it's their chili cook It's the code of a firefighter <laughs> to not talk about Don't. chili cook-offs. <laughs> like Fight Club. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like a canned <laughs> response. That's a throwaway, Callie. Cut that. <laughs> <laughs> But you're you said you're speaking at NSCA National. Any other speaking initiatives? She said TSEC. No, she spoke last no, oh, last oh. year. No, well, I'm not at TSEC this year. Uh, McWilkin's speaking at TSEC this year. <gasps> That's Vegas, why I'm not. Vegas. Vegas. Formal, formal announcement. Vegas. Oh. See, it's your fault. I'm not speaking at TSAC. I'm doing a. They gave me an 80 minute practical. Yeah. So McQuilkin. Shut up. And here's. Have you not heard? What are you going to do for 80 minutes other than. You haven't heard the script yet? So McQuilkin's doing an off site practical at the. uh, uh, Olympic Gardens? Which pool are you doing a swing practical? Encore pool party. Encore pool party. Where basically Tiesto is going to be playing and he's going to be in there teaching people how to do the, the combat side stroke in Speedos. Oh, gross. Which part of that? <laughs> McQuilkin in a Speedo or Tiesto? <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just uh, Blade versus Sandstorm on repeat. Mm-hmm. Is that the practical still? Or you, was that something I just made up right now? No, I have done that. I don't think Tiesto plays Vegas anymore. <laughs> what, your Speedo? No, 2014 Bachelor I heard, I, Encore Encore I heard about your last Speedo. You just shaved your upper body and your legs and just went out there. And it was so hairy that it looked like a Speedo. It's called a hair speedo. Mm-hmm. So it was a little chilly out. The speaking engagement that you have coming <laughs> so, up, TSAC National, prior, any other opportunities? Prior to National, I am speaking at my one and only fire industry conference at the Wisconsin Fire Chiefs, and that's in uh, end of June. So I'm excited about that. It sounds like a lot and of cheese. It's going to be a lot of cheese oh, there. Cheese curds oh, will be eaten. A lot of beer and cheese curds. We used to go to uh, a River Falls, Wisconsin for training camp. And man, it was like everywhere we went, it was like cheese curds. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Do you know that the cheese curds that are really good should squeak on your teeth? Did you know that? I didn't uh, know that. I just, I, I just, don't know. And I, I'm not a big cheese curd guy. I'm not I either. mean, not that it just doesn't come to mind to order cheese curds. And I guess because we're not in Wisconsin or Midwest. Well, maybe, maybe it's like it's like when you go to Philly, uh, like at least all the places we go, they're always like, oh, uh, chicken wings were a big deal in Philly. And I, I didn't really understand that. And then I was like, man, these chicken wings are pretty good. So we just started eating chicken wings everywhere we went. <laughs> I, I think it's probably cheese curds are the same. Do you have a question. International firefighting systems, are they, they the same approach that we have in the U.S.? Are we the leading nation that people model, models themselves after? Or is everybody on their own? Really good multi-part question. I think we are probably behind in some of our strategies and tactics and how we do things behind the other countries. And here's the reason. 
the United States Fire Service is 200 years of tradition unimpeded by progress. So when I started the fire service, I came from a scientific background and some of the stuff they told me, I was like, that doesn't sound right. Uh, I'm not sure I believe that, but then you're on probation and you can't open your mouth, God forbid. And then I just started reading. Give us an example. Oh, this is a good one. I have a former fire chief that always said, for example, if an attached garage is on fire, you should not boot the garage door and fight the fire in the garage that way because you'll chase fire into the house. What you need to do is go through the house the long way and come through the, the man door of the garage so you don't chase fire. How much fire did the fire department chase yesterday when you had your bonfire going? They put the water on it and it went out, right? What, what does chase fire mean? You didn't watch Backdraft? Fire, <laughs> fire lives and breathes. It's got its own life. For bro. our listeners, John. Oh, they need to watch so Backdraft. The former chief really thought that we would push fire into the structure. So the uninvolved part of the house, we would be pushing the fire there. So therefore, we had to fight it backwards. To, push push it, to like push it outside. outside. Yeah, but you don't push fire. <laughs> Did someone say chasing fire? You know what else is hot? Yep, that's the best segue I could come up with. Train Heroic's incredible online platform, which gives you, the athlete, access to hundreds of programs to meet any training goal. If you're a coach, you have everything you need to provide your teams with comprehensive workouts, demos, and ways to track their progress. And maybe most importantly, the folks at Train Heroic care about you, the user, and they're accessible for all your questions and any of your feedback. Is this an advertisement? 100%. Were we paid? Absolutely not. We seriously just love these guys and think their product is the best out there. So check out trainheroic.com for more information. Now back to the show. I mean, just stuff like that. And then the um, UL, uh, UL laboratories, which are up in Northbrook, have, they've done a ton of research on flow patterns and things like that. We used to, our big thing was just show up and, and open a ton of windows. Terrible idea. We also were told for the longest time, you should never hit fire from outside. So for example, we pull up on a single family home, flames are shooting out the kitchen. We should most definitely not hit those flames from the outside and darken them down and make it safer for ourselves to go inside because we might kill people inside or steam them to death. So, I mean, that just goes against the physics. Absolutely. If you can fight that fire and make it a little smaller before you go inside, that's just brilliant. But, well, I yeah. like the idea of opening windows. That way the fire gets to breathe more because the one thing <laughs> that fire likes more than oxygen is nothing. And that's really what makes fire go up is oxygen. But that's Thanks. why we stop, John, so we don't fan the flames. Mm -hmm. mm. Exactly. Like when the burn ban is off. Yeah, you're, you're going to need to investigate that whole burn ban thing and where you went wrong. Uh, I feel like they maybe didn't update the internet. No, what so happened the wind, is... Um, the wind kicked up over 20 miles an hour. No, so what happened is, uh, and I showed the guy my thought process, I googled uh, Lake Travis, which is our county, um, Lake Travis burn ban, and, it, and a website popped up. But it turns out that that website is not 
the website that these guys put out. It's somebody, it's another area's website that was like through the city hall. And there's actually like a Lake Travis fire and rescue.org or LT. Yeah, LT fire. FR.org. Yeah, yeah, FR.org. <laughs> I was thinking the acronym. Uh, that's the official one that you have. To, and I'm like looking at this and I'm like, as I'm taking the guy and he's like, oh, no, 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 that's not our website. Fix your SEO. And, and like, I, I, like I said to the guy, I'm like, first of all, um, and you guys will argue this point with me, I'm like, I'm not a complete moron. Like, <laughs> like, let me show you my thought process. And then I, and then he was like, well, uh, I was like, in years past, we've called this number and I've left a message. Well, what number did you call? So I pulled him up and I took him through the process. And I was like, this is a number that we're calling the one that says burn ban hotline. And I'm leaving a message. And he's like, well, nobody checks those messages. I was like, <laughs> okay. So explain to me the, uh, the thought press. So what the guy said is they have to send me a permit. I pay for the permit, which is 50 bucks. Then they come out and they Ooh. do an assessment. Well, you're going to love this, right? So they, they came out and did an assessment. And then they gave me a special phone number that I have to text, activate, keyword, too. And then, they'll, then that thing will text me back, letting them know whether or not I can burn or not. Like this guy like went through this like elaborate process. And I was like, so basically what you guys have done is you've just made such a complex process that people just oh, won't burn, burn their shit. And I was like, I appreciate your uh, your use of bureaucracy as a as a means of uh, of you know, like I guess you could say like blunting people's desire or basically just trying to like get rid of morons from burning stuff. And you've probably figured like, hey, if somebody can like work them way work their way through this process, they might be switched on enough to actually make this happen. And the guy like is just looking at me like <laughs> like stone facing. Just me. had an Instagram account, and it was like they only had one post. Burn me on. Man. And it was just like on Brilliant. or off. Well, I, and you would delete the post. So there's only one post. And the account was Lake, Lake Travis Burn Band. Well, when, when they showed up yesterday, they had the truck in the water. Why couldn't they have just hung out? I mean, like, I would have, like, gone and got them, like, uh, we could have had, like, a barbecue. We could have done something. And they just let it burn to the ground. Because the guy's like, are you going to burn today? I'm like, no. It's already burned down. You guys, like, came, like, 20 minutes. It would well, have been out. Yeah, halfway through, they're hosing down. They're like, burn band's off now. <laughs> <laughs> so the, so what, what happened was when I checked in the morning, there was no wind. We set it up, and then all of a sudden, the wind picked up over 15 miles an hour. And the burn ban went from off or to on to off. And I'm like, or I'm sorry, burn ban off went to burn ban on. And like, I'm like, so it's fluid like that? And he's like, well, we have to use this weather uh, advisory thing. And I'm like, I'm going through this whole process. And I'm like, this sounds really complicated. And he's like, yeah. (laughs) It's probably tradition. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like what they do at the fire department. Just really complicates stuff. I was once, so I, a fire protection district is a little bit different than a fire department. A fire protection district, we kind of make our own rules, if you will. And so, but we enforce the ordinances of whatever jurisdiction we happen to be in. So I'm Lyle Woodridge Fire, but we also cover some of DuPage County. So I responded to a outside fire complaint one time in Lyle. And so I was enforcing Lyle's ordinance and the gentleman actually offered me a 30 pack, not a small one, a 30 pack of Bush light. Mm, I know who this is. Gold toppers. (laughs) If I could overlook the fact that he was burning six rolls of carpet in his backyard. 
Lyle, what a bunch of just So how's the beer? There's a real problem with that because uh, rolls of carpet are polyester. Usually carpet has polyester. And as you guys know, polyester goes up like a Roman candle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's where the stop, drop, and roll came from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And bush light is silver top. No, it's gold. Bush. Bush. Well, this was Ah. actually around October, so it was the orange can. Ah, the bear's cans. The can, the camel, the camel the hunting, hunting cans. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh was, yeah. Oh, Bud Light had uh, a bear. Speaking, Classy. speaking of crazy carpet burning, we recently spoke on some fun redneck stories because Florida's got a different type of white trash, and does hopefully HIPAA doesn't apply to firefighters. What's the craziest, weirdest redneck people run in that you've experienced in your career? Probably somebody build, burning six rolls of carpet and trying to give her a 30-pack. <laughs> nah, it's got to be better. That's right up there. Well, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, you know what? Just people, it's interesting to me. I think in order to function in life, you need some basic skills. For example, if your toilet on the second floor of your condo has developed some sort of a leak and is running gallons and gallons and gallons of water down your stairs... I do feel like a human should be able to go up to the toilet and turn off the little valve at the toilet. Right. Basic skills. But yet. So what you're saying is you guys are people will call 911 instead of calling the plumber. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but which way do you turn my, that confusing? One mouth? of my, uh, one of my best friends in high school, uh, <laughs> his dad was a fire chief and, um, he went and played football in college then got out and, you know, got into the company business and, uh, got in the fire department. And I remember we'd go out and have drinks and he'd be like the level of ridiculousness that we deal with every day. Like he goes, people dial nine one one thinking that we're handymen. He goes, I'm, he goes, I show up for, for plumbing calls. I show up for electrical calls. He goes like, I show up and he's like pretty handy. Cause his dad owned uh, like apartments. So they would always go and kind of like do maintenance on the apartments. And he's like, he goes, honestly, it'd probably be easier just to like give you know, nine one one just took you to a local maintenance office. Cause most of the stuff they ran into was like maintenance related. And, uh, I was like, wow, that's crazy. He's like, dude, he goes, we show up. And like some of the craziest stuff, I can't remember all the stories, but it was just pretty funny with the maintenance calls. You know what the maintenance call, it triggered probably this is the best hillbilly call ever. We had a flood a few years ago and we have some low areas and people were calling, calling, calling my basements flooded, my basements flooded, my basements flooded. And this gentleman, uh, he said, my basement's flooding and the poop from the toilet is backing up into it. And I said, I'm sorry, I really can't, I can't help you with that. And he says to me, well, would you like to come down and look? No, no, I don't need to see the poop from your toilet floating in your flooded basement. We're done here. Goodbye. Craziness. Crazy. But so did you at least get like a picture sent? (laughs) i'm just kidding no no and another woman wanted me to pump out her basement her complaint was that the water was encroaching upon the electrical box and it was sparking Mm -hmm. and she wanted me to go down there and shut that off and then pump out her basement and i said do you understand that the pressure from the saturated soil on the outside even if i could pump out your basement if i did you understand that that would cause your basement to collapse she was really angry at me for not pumping out her basement. Yeah, because you just, I'm sure you travel around with a bunch of pumps. Well, then take the water somewhere else. 
Well, I, right. it, that's kind of interesting that like um, I, I would never think to, I don't know, call 911 for just a basic plumbing. It's so strange. Well, huh? we taught people for years, if you have an emergency, call 911. Hmm. But we didn't teach them what an emergency was. Oh, oh fuck. That's, uh... <laughs> so here's what I tell little kids. We fucked that one up. Yeah. If your chest hurts a lot, if you're not breathing, or sometimes if there's a baby actively evacuating from your body, only sometimes, those are pretty good reasons to call 911. And if your house is on fire. Other than that, pretty much anything else can be solved on a you know, urgent care basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think my kids just scream dad. That's her 911. <laughs> like um, uh, my little boy was, uh, he's going to be four next week. He uh, was went, went into his bedroom and he pulled out his, like uh, one of like the dresser drawers and it fell. He pulled it out too far. It was kind of small and landed on his toe and oh. uh, like smashed his little toe. And I'm like looking at it. I'm like, oh, there's a little blood underneath there. It ended up filling up with blood over the night. And so I woke up and his toe was like three times the size. So I go like heat up a paper clip and, you know, basically burn a hole in it and like release all this blood as a good shooting out. And uh, <laughs> the fact that I've done this this many times to myself and uh, my wife's like, should we take it? I'm like, no, 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 dude. Believe me, I've fixed this many a time. You know, I mean, I, I get you get your toe stepped on a football practice or you smash your finger or something and you end up doing it. And um, it's just pretty funny where my kids are like, wow. I'm like, uh, you don't really have to call anybody to do this basic maintenance stuff. You should just know how to handle these things. Well, I was raised by savages, too. I mean, I could have had an arm actively cut off, and my mom would say, hold that arm and do not get blood in my car. <laughs> and then we'd just drive to the doctor. Yeah. That's how I was raised. Yeah, same with us. So it was our next-door neighbor was the doctor. Just, yeah, go, <laughs> go knock on Dr. Wilson's door and have him fix something. Stitches, everything. It's awesome. <laughs> we got anything else, Tex? I think we're good. Annette, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. I hope it was uh, rewarding and entertaining. It was awesomely rewarding and entertaining. Thank you so much. You got it. And I guess if any of our listeners do want to start following up and tracking you on social media, do you have a social media account that you want them to follow? Or are you active on there? Or what's the deal with that? I actually prefer the term stalking, but mm, just yes. kidding. Um, so Instagram is probably the best place where I post everything. And I'm just at fire okay. SQ fitness. And then I'm also the same on Twitter, but I have a really cool website, which is www.firesqfitness.com. And so there's a chat feature there. If you want to email me, if you have mm. any questions, that's sweet. I, I welcome questions. Well, you heard it. Power Athlete Nation, get on it. If this interests you. Follow up with the net, and hey, go down to your local firehouse and give them a box of uh, thin meats, creatine, meat, creatine, and uh, thin mints, uh, rice pe- rice cakes, yeah, rice cakes, right? Is that what those things are called? You mean cocaine? No, no, rice cakes, rice, rice cakes, rice cakes. Maybe the cinnamon sugar ones. Ooh, sweet. they are delicious. I do like me some, but rice still cakes. low calorie. It's like eating air. <laughs> this air is, this air is so delicious. <laughs> definitely not peanut butter for protein. We learned that here no. today, folks. But peanut butter is better source of protein than um, iceberg Ice lettuce. Or tequila. <laughs> Arguable. Arguable. <laughs> we'll, agree not that. we'll agree to disagree. Yeah. Thanks again, Annette, and thank you, Power Athlete Nation. Thank you. Thank you. To another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength Drop and Conditioning. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Keep up with Annette on Instagram at FireSQFitness or on her website, FireSQFitness.com. And if you get the chance, head over to your local fire department or police department. Bring them maybe some jerky. Um, Stop by with your friendly dog for a quick scratch. I'm here to tell you that is a huge morale booster. Or maybe donate a piece of old training equipment for their gym. All that stuff is um, really kind. And I'm here to tell you your first responders would be super grateful for any of that. Until next time. Bye. Bye.